In uh, Matthew 16, 13 to 18, it says this. Um, when Jesus came to the region of uh, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? This is Jesus saying he was the Son of Man. So he's saying, who do people say that I am? And his disciples replied, some say you're John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? Jesus said to his disciples, but what about other people say all these things, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. Uh, you know, when people think about the church or hear the word church, oftentimes we think about the church building. Um, but the church is not the building. The church is not bricks and mortar. The church is the community of faith that gather. Yes, buildings are important. Yes, buildings are necessary. But the building is not the church. The church is the people, the community of faith that God joins and brings together and knits together to gather, to do what we've done, worship God, to uh, encourage one another, build one another up and build the church out beyond the walls of the building. And when it comes to building the church, when Jesus said, I will build my church, uh, he's looking to build people. He's looking to build you and I in our relationship with God to become more effective and understand what it, why it is that we're here and what we're meant to be doing. We don't come to Christ ready-made. Uh, we come with our own failings, our own misgivings, our own fears, anxieties, worries, concerns. We come to Him and in the process of Him revealing Himself and moving in our lives, we step out from those things and begin to walk by faith in our trust for God. So when He's building His church, when He's looking to build people like you and I, there's two things that He's doing in our lives and they're, and they're summarized in this scripture that we just read out. Two things that determine us going forward in God or discovering who he is and what he has for us. Number one is knowing who Jesus is. Jesus comes to every individual. He comes to us and he says, who do you say that I am? Doesn't matter what anybody else says. Oh, they say this, they say that. He says, no, but what about you? Faith in God Faith in Christ is intrinsically individual. Yes, God puts us in communities, but we don't get a salvation. We don't have an encounter with Christ through our, our parents' faith, through being raised in a church, through being in a community. We come into relationship with God. We discover who Christ is by answering one question when he comes to us. He says, who do you say that I am? The second question I want to look at today is not only asking who Jesus is, but then Jesus says to Peter, but I tell you who you are. The two greatest questions that we have in life is number one, who is Jesus? And number two, who are you? Who are you? You know, in the ancient uh, philosophy, in the, the old days of the Greeks, <clears throat> the summary of all of their learning, and oftentimes these days they refer back to 
philosophers like Socrates or Aristotle, Euripides, uh, Pythagoras, um, the ancient learning, the ancient wisdom that the Greeks had. But you know, an oracle in Delphi, the stone that summarized all of the ancient Greek learning and everything uh, that they had uh, questioned and thought about was summarized in this one statement that was etched into this rock in Delphi. And it said this, know thyself. They saw the question of who you are and why you're here as the greatest pursuit and the greatest question to be asked with our time and our energy and our focus. Who? Now, they got half of it right because Jesus said, you've got to know who you are. But you'll never know who you are or why you're here until you first ask the question, who is Jesus? Wow. Who is Jesus and why is, did he come? Um, so I want to look at those two things today. So Peter, it says, Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? Now Peter says, who was one of the disciples, and you can read this later, he's, Jesus says, he has this spark of brilliance, uh, revelation. He says, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. He had, an, he had a revelation of who Jesus actually was. This was a guy they were following around who was doing great miracles and they were inspired by him and they were following him and they said that he was a great teacher. But at that moment, Peter had a revelation. You're actually God. You're actually the Christ. You're the Messiah. You are here in the flesh. And Jesus says this to Peter. He says, this was not revealed to you by man. He said, that's right what you said, but you didn't come to that understanding by yourself. The true knowledge of who Christ is, the true knowledge of what Jesus or who Jesus was and why he came is only revealed to us through God. God exposes, God reveals, God opens up our heart and our mind to see who Christ is really is. You do not get there through intellect. You do not get there through some kind of uh, transformative process or introspection to try and go, oh, I'm just trying to work out. You can read books and books are great and books are important, but books will never reveal truly who Jesus Christ is through, an in, through transformation of your heart, your mind. It comes as, as we ask God to reveal who he is and he opens up our heart. And that's what happened to Peter. He said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. The early disciples, and they all had this encounter. So when you read the story of, of uh, Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Bible, those first four books of the Gospels, the Gospels are the first three books of the New Testament. These disciples were men and women who, if you read them through into the book of Acts, were radically transformed by an encounter with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was living amongst them, then they had an encounter of who he was and it radically transformed their lives. It radically transformed their understanding of God and why they were on the planet, what they were supposed to be doing with their time and their energy. Um, so uh, some were fishermen, if you know the story. Some of them were fishermen. They left their businesses to follow Christ. Some were tax collectors like Matthew who turned from their completely old way of life and begin to follow Jesus. Some were prostitutes like Mary Magdalene. 
who had an encounter with Jesus Christ, completely transformed how she saw God and by that how she saw herself and her, her life was radically transformed. Re- religious leaders like a guy called Jarius that is recorded in the scriptures, beggars like Bartimaeus had an encounter with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes into people's lives and radically transforms the way they see God and the way they see themselves. You know, uh, Johann Metz, who's a guy I've been reading lately, but he said this, the shortest definition of Christianity is interruption. The shortest definition of Christianity is disruption. You hear the term disruption used a lot these days. But the shortest term for Christianity, when you truly have an encounter with Christ, is interruption. If our life... Is that me? Buzzing. Oh, banging. Is that me? Simi? I don't know. Let me give it one more go. I'll just put it. Uh, I had it down my pocket. I know what you were thinking. <laughs> um, actually, give me that. Give me that other one because I, oh, I have got a belt on. But. Excuse me, I'm just talking amongst yourselves for a second. One, two, can you hear me? All right. Uh, Johann, uh, Johann Baptist Metz is his name. You can look him up if you're interested. Just uh, a Catholic uh, theologian. Uh, and he said this, the shortest definition of Christianity is, is interruption. When Jesus comes into our life, he interrupts our life in a good way. Christianity is not just about attending a church and following some religious uh, traditions or, or moral um, uh, parameters. Christianity is about an encounter, a disruptive, interruptive encounter with Jesus Christ who comes into our life and changes the way we live. If you read through the book of uh, the, the Gospels and the book of Acts, the disciples' lives were transformed by this encounter and the way they lived their lives. Now, some of them left their businesses, some of them didn't. It doesn't mean that We've all got to stop doing what we're doing and go and put on togas and uh, go and live on a mountain or something. (laughs) It's about Jesus Christ coming into our life and firstly discovering who he actually is. Who is Jesus Christ? And when you answer that question, it completely transforms then the second question and then why then am I here? Why am I here? Know thyself. Uh, So Jesus comes in and interrupts us. And he says, who do you say that I am? And so it, it uh, follows on then a whole bunch of questions that we need to answer. Then is he Lord? Is he Lord of our life? Is the Lord Jesus Christ? And if we, if we then declare, well, yes, he is Lord, what are the ramifications of that? What does that mean for us? What does it mean for our life? What does it mean for our finances? We talk about tithes and offering. If we're saying Jesus is Lord over my life, then what does it mean when he talks in the scriptures about my possessions and what, what uh, to do with them and how to live our lives. Uh, is he Lord over our decisions? If we're saying, Jesus, your Lord, does that mean then that we need to defer some of the big decisions of our life to him because he's the Lord? Or do we just live our life and do our thing and then at times ask him to bless the decisions that we've made? 
oh, I'm just going to live my life and I pray, Lord, that you will look after me while I make these decisions. No, answering that question, who is Jesus, radically transforms the way we live our life, the decisions or how we make the decisions of our life and what we do. Is he Lord over our ambitions? It's not, it's not sinful or wrong to have ambition. But is he Lord over those ambitions, those desires, those heartfelt uh, um, drivers in our life that, that we're including him in that, in that process. Lord over our time. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, which some of you may or may not have heard of, doesn't really matter, but it starts with this line, and I love this line. It says, the chief purpose of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So some Christians and some people will say the chief purpose of man is just to enjoy God. And so they just, you know, uh, I've, uh, in the last couple of days, I've been thinking about this a bit because uh, I was following a bike race online from Perth to Sydney. I don't know if anyone's heard of it, the Indian Pacific Wheel Race. It's an it's a, uh, endurance cycling event that was from unsupported from Perth to Sydney, and it's been happening over the last couple of weeks. But... Uh, one of the guys who was coming second in the in the competition and who was uh, famous in that field, if you like, he's, he's holds the record for riding solo around the world. He's won numerous cross-continent races. Anyway, uh, he on Friday, I think it was, uh, Friday morning, was killed by a car in Canberra. So a car came up behind him, didn't see him, and ran him over and killed him. And this guy's world famous. And as I've been reading through the comments, because I was shocked and all these people are shocked who've been following the race and look up to this guy and many, you know, with admiration, because he's very inspiring, uh, what he does and how, how he does it and what he's achieved. And I'm looking through all the questions and, and people are saying things like, well, you know, uh, you know, life is so fragile and you can go at any moment, so just enjoy your life, do, do what you want to do, have a good time. What's the point of trying to accumulate things? What's the point of trying to do things when at any moment it can be snuffed out of, it can be taken from you? So just do what feels good. Do what you want to do. Go and have a good time. And, you know, when we're confronted with our mortality, we respond in various different ways. And that's one of the ways that we can respond when we lose someone close to us or there's some kind of tragedy or we're shocked in some way. We think, what, what is the purpose of life when it can be taken from you just like that? So you might as well just go and have a good time. And if, we're, if the only part of that definition was to enjoy God forever, then yes, we could respond that way. But it doesn't say that. It says the chief purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And so are the decisions that we're making, the way we live our life and what we're doing, glorifying God? Are we utilizing the gift that He's been given us, this great gift of life? What a gift we've been given. That can be taken at any moment. That can be lost at any moment. We are confronted at different times from a distance by our mortality. But when our mortality is confronted at a close and personal level, it shocks us, it frightens us, it scares us in many ways. And the reality is that at some point, every one of us will die. And the question is, how did we live our life? Did we live our life? As Christians, God calls us to live our life in a way that glorifies Him. Does that mean we all have to go into full-time ministry? No. 
it means that what the gifts, the talents, the abilities, the purpose of our life, the decisions, the directions are there to lift up the name of Jesus, to glorify Him and to enjoy Him, to enjoy this life, to, yes, have a good time. But uh, Christianity is not just about experiences. Many people these days, you're talking, they go, uh, there's this underlying current that, Christ, that life is just about experiences. Oh, I'm going over here to have this experience, going over there to have this experience. Experiences are awesome. It's good, but that's not the purpose of life, to accumulate experiences and think, oh, I've lived a good life because I've had all these experiences with my time. The chief purpose of you and I as believers is that with the decisions that we make and the direction of our life and the purpose of our life glorifies Jesus Christ in this world with the way we utilize our time, skill, abilities, and direction. Amen? So, does your decisions glorify God? Um, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 8, 6. He said this, and there is but one Lord. Earlier on, he goes, different people have different lords. And, you know, even as Christians, we can have many lords in our life. But, but Paul says to the Corinthian church, who were new believers and had come to faith in Christ through his ministry, he said that there is but one Lord and his name is Jesus Christ. And he must be Lord over all. Otherwise, he's not Lord at all. And so that will be challenging to us at different times. As we grow in our relationship with God, as we come to know Jesus, he will ask this question again and again of us. Who do you say that I am? Am I actually Lord? Well, yes, you're Savior, and I'm happy to be forgiven of my sins. I don't know about this Lord stuff. You know, we live in a democracy. We don't have these uh, sovereign entities anymore. Um, but he will ask us those questions. Uh, who am I? Who am I to you? There is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Through whom we live. Um, so that's the first part. Who do you say that I am? Answering that question. You're, you're the Christ. You're Jesus. You're the Son of the living God. You're the Savior. You're eternal God. You came to die upon a cross to, to bring restoration to me in my relationship with God. All of these things that we come to know, not simply because we read them in a textbook, but because we've actually met the person. We've actually had an encounter with him. And he's changed our world and our life radically from the inside so that everything we see now looks different. Everything is filtered through this relationship with God and who he is. The second question then, first question, who do you say that I am? The second question is, is then well, who, who am I? And this is the other one that Jesus addresses in this scripture. And Peter looks, uh, Jesus looks at Peter and he says, you know, yes, you've realized who I am. I am the Christ, and you didn't get this by your own intellect. This was revealed to you. And I tell you who you are. You are Peter. Now, he wasn't just telling him his name because that wasn't his real name. His real name was Simon. And, uh, and Simon's personality and his, his nature and who he was, he was, he was a little bit um, sporadic. He was a little bit uh, um, volatile. Uh, if you read through the stories, his personality was, was a little bit fickle. Uh, he was spontaneous, but oftentimes, you know, ran off at the mouth, say things, and then go, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I don't know if anyone relates to that. <laughs> so he wasn't a perfect guy, and he, and he had these issues with himself, his own self-esteem, how he saw himself, his nature. And Jesus says, 
you know, you're Simon, but I'm telling you, I'm calling you Peter. He began to speak into his world and into his life and declare to him not who he was, but who God had called him to be. Oftentimes we see ourselves for who we are right now, but Jesus comes to us and he goes, you know what? That might be how you see yourself right now and it might be how you're living right now, but I'm declaring over your life that that's not your future. That's not the way I made you and it's not the place I've called you to be, that I'm taking you from Simon and I'm turning you into Peter. I'm, letting, I'm breaking the, the handles and the, and the uh, memories and the brokenness and the fears, the anxieties, the worries, the concerns of that old person and I'm going to transform them into this new, dynamic, powerful, effective, life-changing person. That's what he does with you and I as well. He changes our life. He declares who we are. Now, oftentimes we read things in the scriptures that says, oh, I've got patience, I'm kind, you know, I've, I've got direction, I've got, and we think, well, I don't, I don't have that. I'm t- it's saying I have and I haven't. That's where the Bible says you declare these things by faith. That's the way the scriptures work. It's the way the kingdom of God works. Uh, Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things that are not seen. So in other words, when we declare what God says, even though it's not a reality right now, we're not lying. Oftentimes we say, well, I can't say that. Uh, that it would be lying. No, it would be lying to say that God's word is not true. To say, well, no, this can't happen. This change can't, can't uh, take place. God can't do that. God can do all things, the Bible says. And he can change you and he can change your nature and he can show you who you are and what he's called you to do. And that is the great purpose of life, that we discover who he is and secondly, discover who we are and why we're here on the planet. What has he called us to do? And pursuing that and fulfilling that and going after that with all of our heart is the greatest glorifier that we can achieve for God. Um, So he wasn't just calling him by his name, he was making a declaration. And God declares over your life, through the scriptures, his great purpose and calling, who you actually are. That you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That you are above only and not beneath. That you are forgiven. Oftentimes we live with this sense of regret and, and a sense of guilt sometimes because of things that we've done wrong, sometimes things that we've done. And to actually believe that God has forgiven us of those things is sometimes very difficult to achieve because sometimes they're of great consequence or, or of huge, they've had a huge effect, whether it be on ourselves or other people. But to be able to say with Jesus when he says, no, I've forgiven you, I declare you righteous, you may not even feel like that, but you need to begin to declare that because that's what Jesus says about you. You are forgiven. You are made whole. You are loved. You are free. A whole bunch of things that we don't always feel. Um, and there's so many voices out there telling people who they are. So many voices declaring, you know, a, an agenda for people, whether it be marketers. You know, you, you have to have this if, you, if you're going to really be special you have, to, you have to have an iPhone. <coughs> That's what marketing is about. Marketing plays on our insecurities, our fears and our concerns that came through the fall and saying, if you have this, then that will alleviate all these things. That the problem is you get them and realize, well, it hasn't actually done it. And so you need the next thing. You need the upgrade. 
You need the 2.0. You need this. You need that. You've got to get a better car. You've got to drive a newer car. You've got to have a bigger car. You've got to have a bigger house. You've got to have... And all these things in and of themselves uh, are awesome. They're not wrong in any way, shape, or form. But if we're trying to get them to fill a void and a hole and a sense of, uh, of uh, not knowing who we are or that we don't have value because we don't have these things then we are falling short of the declaration that Jesus Christ made about us, that we don't need possessions to actually feel good about ourselves if we have Jesus Christ in our life because He is the sustainer. He's the filler. He's the one that brings value, purpose, dignity, self-esteem, significance. They come through an encounter with God and everything else on top of that is a bonus. It's all good as long as we're building on the foundation which is Jesus Christ. Amen? So, is it, is it okay to have a, a new car? Absolutely. Is it okay to drive a Ferrari? Only if you take me for a spin. <laughs> but if we're trying to grasp for these things because there's an inadequacy within us saying, well, if I've got that, people will think I'm special. If I've got that, people will look up to me. If, I've, if I own this, then uh, I'll feel valuable. Then then there's a void inside of us and those things will never, ever fill it. They will never, ever fill it because those, those sen- that, that sense of inadequacy and, and, uh, and uh, insignificance and, and uh, not knowing who we are comes because we don't know who Jesus is and we don't know what he actually declares about our life. You know, there's voices out there today telling boys that they should be girls and telling girls that they should be boys because as we move away from a faith in Christ, identity is being lost. People do not know who they are or what they're supposed to be doing. That comes through a knowledge of Jesus and knowing what Jesus says about you. And our society is drifting and spiraling because they've lost the sense of identity. People do not know who they are. They do not know what they're doing. They do not know what they're supposed to be doing because they do not know who Jesus is and they do not know who he says you are. When we pursue those things, when we begin to understand those things, then we can live a life full of joy, hope, peace and significance as we pursue him and his glory in this world. Amen? Um, what time is it? Wow, it's only 11 o'clock. All right, I'll finish with this. This I've got 30 minutes left. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so, my question is, we go to so many different people to discover who we are. We'll go to seminars, we'll go to conferences, and we'll go to presence, and it's awesome that you go there. But you need to hear more than a preacher or, or someone, a sports star or someone of significance to declare something to you. You need to have... You need to have a a visitation from Jesus Christ. You need to have an encounter with Jesus Christ, the living word, because one word from God will completely transform your understanding of yourself and what you're here for. Value, significance, dignity, purpose come through knowing who we are in God. And so I want to declare a few things over you today that, that is in the Scriptures and you might say, well, these aren't a reality for me. But as far as God is concerned, they are in Jesus Christ. You are healed. You might say, I'm dealing with this sickness, this illness. I've got this thing going on. But the Bible declares you are healed. The, through his stripes that he took upon the cross, the Bible declares that healing is available to you. We pray for the sick. We see them healed. 
you are saved when you accept Jesus Christ into your life, no matter what you've done, no matter how you feel. If Jesus Christ comes into your life, the Bible declares you are born again. You do not have to then go and serve a penance. You do not have to go to a place after death called purgatory to pay for sins. No, Jesus Christ took all of those sins and all of that punishment upon the cross so that you might be free. And when we accept Him in faith, all of that is taken from us. You are saved and right before God when you accept Jesus Christ. You are loved so often. We feel unloved for various reasons, and that's all another message in and of itself. But the Bible declares that you are loved. You are loved with a deeper love than you and I will ever understand through what Jesus Christ did and what He left to come to earth. We'll never understand it or comprehend it in this life. But for us to feel like, that, that when we're not loved or that we only have to read the Scriptures and see what God did and the price that He paid to have a relationship with you. You are loved. You are prosperous. You're okay. My grace is sufficient. No weapon formed against you will prosper. You'll walk through fire. You won't be burned. You're going to make it out the other side. No matter what you're going through right now, no matter what challenges lay before you, or what has gone on in the past, Jesus Christ is everything that you need to bring you out of the past and bring you through the present into His glorious future. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. I am. I am. And we glorify Him. We lift up His name in this place. And as we surrender to Him, as we glorify Him, as we obey Him and His calling upon our life, we find that life works. Life works out. We live our best life when we surrender to Jesus Christ and put our trust in Him. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Let's close our eyes. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that the church is the place where we have encounter with Jesus Christ. The church, the, the, the body gathered is the place that we discover who you are and we discover who we are. We discover why we're here. We find our sense of value, our sense of purpose, our sense of significance. We find forgiveness. We find freedom. We find peace. We find hope. We find every attribute that is in Jesus Christ when we find it in the church, when we find you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Lord, we surrender afresh to you here today. By the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray that you reveal Jesus to every single person sitting here today, that they would have a fresh encounter, a fresh revelation. Flesh and blood does not reveal this stuff to us, but only you, Lord. And I pray right now by your great Holy Spirit that we would not only know who you are in greater depth, understanding and insight, but that we would know who we are and why we are here. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Just as I finish, I want to ask, maybe you're here today, maybe you're visiting.